We are going to wrap up our series, Need to Know. Several weeks ago, we started, we gave you uh, seven signs uh, of the end uh, of times. Uh, we looked at one in particular. We talked about before the coming of the Lord, the Bible prophesies that there will be a great falling away. Uh, and then we talked about a great deception, that in the last days, that deception would be so pervasive throughout our world and throughout our culture. And we talked about deception. And then we talked about what Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah, and uh, we tackled a very challenging, difficult topic on same-sex marriage and how that ties in to the end of times. And then last weekend, you know, we had the Institute for Creation Research, uh, Dr. Jason Lyle that, will, that was here, and he gave a powerful presentation on origins from the book of Genesis. And that was just so remarkable, it was so powerful, I'm so appreciative of the information that he shared with our congregation. And that really does fit in the Need to Know series, to really know our origins, our beginnings, and how everything began, and how it points to how everything's going to culminate. But we're going to wrap it up, and something interesting, you know, Jesus had an amazing teaching style. He taught through stories or parables. And there are 46 parables in the Gospels. And of those 46 parables, there's a handful of them that deal specifically with the end of the, end of the world or end times. And of, of these parables, these handful of parables like the doorkeeper in Luke 12 and Mark 13 or the owner of the house parable in Luke 12 and Matthew 24 or the servant in charge of the household that's told by Jesus in Matthew 24 or in Luke 12, or the 10 virgins that's talked about in Matthew chapter 25, or the one that we're going to look at out of Luke 19 here in just a moment. All of these parables have something in common, these end times parables. Jesus tells the story to convey a powerful spiritual truth. And the sum total of the knowledge or truth that's in these end times parables they all basically say the same thing, which is this. I'm coming back, and when I do, you better be busy. That's the message. And so that's the message that we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 19. We'll begin in verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, Jesus did, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, I want us to read these last four words out loud together, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we're here today in your house worshiping you. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. They're supposed to be here. It's no coincidence. And I thank you for those that are tuning in live video streaming that, Lord, they're going to hear a message that the Holy Spirit will breathe life upon and that they will take to heart and they will be challenged, and that, Lord, we will make some changes and adjustments in our lives as a result of this message. So I pray and ask humbly for your blessing and grace to be with me and upon this message today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Everyone said...
Amen. So in this parable, there's a spiritual truth that Jesus is wanting to convey. So what are some of the important aspects of this story? Well, there were ten servants. You and I represent those servants. Each servant was given by the nobleman, which represents Jesus, a pound. Ten servants, ten pounds, one pound per servant. A pound in the day of Jesus uh, totaled about three months' worth of wages. So figure what you make every month and times it by three. That was a large sum of money that he handed to each of his servants. And then he said, I'm going to go away for a while, and I'm going to come back. You don't know when I'm going to come back, but when I come back, I'm going to hold you accountable for the pound that I gave you. And you better have increased it. I want you to occupy till I come. And that's the core message in this particular end times parable. Jesus wants us to do something in the meantime, between now and when he comes. He could come tomorrow. He could come next week. He could come next year. He could come in 10 years. Or he could come in 100 years. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We're not supposed to know the day or the hour. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the end times and the rapture of the church and the second coming. And how does the rapture differ from the second coming? Well, at the rapture of the church, Jesus comes for his saints. At the second coming fulfilled in the book of Revelation 19, 20, 21, he comes back with his saints. So there's a time he comes for us. That's the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the Bible talks about the rapture of the church, and we can talk about, you know, well, are we pre-trib, are we mid-trib, are we post-trib? I happen to be pre-trib. You might be different. Uh, you maybe have a different view. That's fine. As Augustine, St. Augustine said in the essentials we have, Unity in the non-essentials, we have liberty, but in all things, we show charity. We can talk about the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign where Christ will rule and reign upon the earth, and you and I will rule and reign with him. And the Bible has a lot to say about the millennial reign of Christ. We can talk about the Antichrist. Who is he? Where is he? Is he alive today? I believe he's alive today. But actually, the spirit of the Antichrist has been a part of this planet, really, from the very beginning at the fall of man. And the Bible talks about the spirit of the Antichrist. We can talk about the satanic unholy trinity because everything that God does, the devil counterfeits. He's an imitator. He's a copycat and a bad one at that. So in the, in the holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not three gods, but one God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Satan counterfeits that. And in the Bible, there is the satanic, unholy trinity, the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet. The beast is a mockery of God the Father. The antichrist is a mockery or a counterfeit of Jesus, Lord, Messiah, Savior. And the false prophet uh, is a counterfeit of the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. So we can jump into all of that, and we've done that in the past, and we'll do that in the future. But here's what Jesus wanted his disciples to know just before his death, burial, resurrection, and then eventual ascension to heaven. They were having all these thoughts in their mind. They were consumed with, okay, are you going to establish your kingdom now? And Jesus told them this parable because they thought that this was going to be something that would immediately occur. Immediately it would occur. 
that Jesus was actually going to Jerusalem not to suffer and die on a cross, but to establish himself on a throne from Jerusalem and rule the world. Because the Bible says that will one day happen. But first the suffering, first the cross, then the crown. And they didn't know that there was a time period be between these two comings uh, of the Lord or appearings of the Lord. And so basically the disciples were saying, okay, Lord, I I we get it. You've had your fun. You, you know, you've healed the sick. You've raised the dead. You've opened up blind eyes. You've unstopped deaf ears. You've cast demons out of people. You've, done, you've, you've, you've fed the multitudes. You've multiplied the, the loaves and the fishes. Okay, all that was great. We had part in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, now? Are you going to do it now? Are you going to get rid of the Romans and establish your kingdom? And then so Jesus tells them this story. There was this nobleman, and he had ten servants, and he gave each one pound. And then he went on a long journey, only to return. And so in the story, they're like, what? And here's the clear message that Jesus sends. I want you to occupy till I come. Now, that's an interesting word. It's the word that Jesus selected. Occupy comes from the Greek word pragma, where we get our word pragmatic from, or practical. That word actually means in the Greek to stay busy, to carry on, to set in motion, to accomplish. And the idea of this word that Jesus used, occupy or pragma, till I come, involves producing good results through great effort and energy. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, of, of all the truths that he could have left with his disciples concerning the coming of his kingdom, this is what at this time was important to him. He said, I want you to occupy till I come. Now, in different translations, it's worded differently, and I want to give you some of those different translations. In the New King James, it says this, do business till I come. Uh, the next translation the New uh, Living Translation says, invest this for me while I'm, I'm gone. Uh, the next one, the New International Version says, put this money to work until I come back. Uh, the Century English Version, use this, the pound that he gave them, three months' salary, use this to earn more money until I get back. And then the, the message says, operate with this until I return. And I think we have one more. Engage in business. Pragma is the Greek word. Engage in business until I come. So in these last days, what is Jesus expecting of you and of me? He wants us to possess an occupier's mentality. What does it mean to have an occupier's mentality. Well, the word occupy in the English means to possess, to control a place by military invasion. We are to occupy new territory for God and not give up that territory. We're to occupy until he comes, not to vacate until he comes. The sad reality, though, is the church over a past generation has vacated sacred ground. We've given it up. We have forfeited it over to the enemy and the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're to occupy. We're to do kingdom business. We're to do business God's way. 
Uh, with great effort and energy, we are to strive to produce results and to accomplish more for the kingdom of God. Between now and when Jesus calls us home or when Jesus comes back uh, to take us to heaven, we're to occupy. In the field of education, we are to occupy. We're to let our presence be known. We're not to vacate it. We're to occupy it. Now, I know we have a, a Christian school. Uh, it's it's the, one of the best Christian schools in all of America, spiritually, academically, in, in every area. Almost 30 years of Christian uh, education. We believe in Christian education. We have the most talented, gifted, blessed, anointed men and women that are a part of the staff and the administration and, and, and the teachers there. And I believe there's a special calling to be in Christian education. But thank God that not all ed Christian educators are called to educate in Christian schools because we need God-fearing men and women who are occupying, taking control of, and laying claim to sacred territory in the public schools and the public universities representing Christ and letting your light shine, occupying that territory until Christ comes again. I believe in the area of science, in the, in the area of arts and entertainment and politics. We, as God's people, are to do kingdom business. We're to represent Christ in every sphere of life. We're not to give it over to the enemy. We're not to forfeit it. Uh, we are to let our light shine. We're to be salt in our generation, salt in the earth that salt was used in the time of Christ to retard corruption to prevent corruption and that's why God has us here we are his servants and we're to pragma we're to do business God's way until he comes and we're not to vacate we're to consecrate we're not to give away more territory to the enemy we're to take and possess it for the Lord now I came across this interesting illustration in one of my uh, resource books uh, and, it was, and it's by Reverend George H. Ferris. And I didn't know this, but he talks about a time in our history as a nation. In 1694, a law was passed by the Massachusetts Bay Colony to the effect that every settler who in a time of trouble or attack, if they deserted their town, if they fled, if they ran from the uh, attacking enemy this law was passed that would mean that they would forfeit all rights to that town and thenceforth their property would now belong to the state now why why did they pass that law because they were living in very perilous times and difficult times and they needed fit men who would be able to defend the homeland and defend their communities and defend their families from the uncertainty and the peril. Now, the law to us today seems harsh, but it was the only way to keep life from disintegrating in these communities because every state has a moral obligation. Every man, every home has a moral obligation to, in times of great spiritual crisis, let's apply this spiritually, God needs earnest men and women who are obliged to take a stand for Christ in very difficult times and not turn tail and run.
because God does not want us to vacate. He wants us to occupy until he comes. He wants us to do business until he comes. So of all the things that Jesus could have told his disciples to do, he could have said in this parable, I want you to pray until I come. Now, we all know prayer is important. We all know prayer is commanded in Scripture. We know that Jesus was a man of prayer. He would get up early in the morning. He would go to a solitary place, and there he would pray. I mean, throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, we see our Lord leaving us the example that we should be men and women of prayer. The Bible even says that we're to pray without ceasing. But Jesus didn't say, I want you to pray till I come. As important as fasting is, uh, and the Bible uh, encourages and admonishes us to fast. And there's a great spiritual benefit that's derived from in our lives whenever we set aside time to seek the Lord and pray and fast. But Jesus didn't say, fast until I pray. He didn't even say, do battle until I pray. And we all know that we are in a spiritual battle and that we're to put on the whole armor of God. And, and in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that, and we understand that. But he didn't say, do battle until I come. He didn't even say, I want you to protest. I want all my people around the world to protest until I come. I believe at times we should protest. I, I believe that we should get together and do a march for life. There are times that we need to let our voice be heard. I remember when I was a, a singles pastor in our former church in Albuquerque. You know, we were all radical and on fire for Jesus. And, and so I wanted to get all the singles ministry people together to go protest out in front of a pornography shop there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on Manal and San Mateo. There's a, a porn shop there. And this was like 30 years ago, right? Uh, a long time ago. So I called all the single people. I said, you know, hey, let's, let's all show up Saturday, and, and we'll, we'll bring our Bibles, and we'll stand out in front of this porn shop, and we'll pray, and we'll make every man that's driving into that parking lot that day feel the shame that he should feel upon his life. And we turned away a lot of business that day. And amongst that group of singles was my wife-to-be that I didn't really know at that time, Gloria. And I thought, wow, where'd you meet your wife? Out in front of a porn shop? That just doesn't sound right. <laughs> and I remember when she was a part of the, the gathering of singles and we were all going to drive over there, she was dressed really nice. You know, she was dressed nice. And I, I don't know why I said this, but I said, do you want to be arrested dressed like that? I don't know why I said that, but she like, she's thinking... I thought this, I, I trust you, I thought this was going to be a positive thing, and she's like, am I going to get arrested? Well, thank God nobody got arrested, and, uh, you know, we, we did our thing. Uh, it really didn't work. I think that place is still open today, but anyway. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, go in all the world and protest. He said, go in all the world, and I want you to do business. I want you to pragma. I want you to do business God's way. I want you to occupy. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't retreat. Don't vacate. Consecrate. I want you to occupy. So what are the things that God wants us to occupy till he comes? Because we don't know when it's going to be. could be today, tomorrow, a year from now, 10 years from now. But until it happens, what do you need to know? You need to know this. God expects you to occupy. He wants you to occupy, first of all, your soul. Don't vacate your soul. Consecrate your soul. Occupy your soul. 
God's concerned about your soul, what you're doing today, when you're a part of a life group, when you serve, when you uh, read the Bible, when you have your personal devotions throughout the week. What are you doing? You're taking care of your soul. No one is in charge of your soul ultimately but you before God. And the Bible says in in John 3, 2, uh, 3 John verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That as your soul prospers, your body can prosper. And as your soul and your body prosper, you in every area of your life can begin to prosper if you'll take care of your soul. So I want to ask you the question today, is it well with your soul? It must be well. You need to occupy your soul. That means you need to occupy your morality. You need to occupy your testimony. You need to occupy your witness for Christ. Don't vacate. Consecrate. Occupy till I come. I was talking to uh, a staff member. They told me a true story of, of a family member. See, sometimes we're, we're, it's a challenge to occupy our soul, to consecrate and not vacate. You see, this, uh, this uh, family member of hers, she loves Jesus, but she was under enormous peer pressure from her worldly friends, her co-workers, and from her half-baked Christian friends to go see this movie that was popular some time ago called Magic Mike. Now, I know nobody in here would go see such a ridiculous, foolish movie like that. But there are some people that do go to movies like that. Now, she was invited and she was under heavy conviction from the Holy Spirit not to go to this movie. But she kept struggling with it, you know, rationalizing, well, I can go. I don't want to seem like I'm better than them. And if I don't go, and then she's, you know, and, but if I go, I can be a witness. I can be a light. You know, I, I, I don't want, but I shouldn't go. The Holy Spirit's not. But she, she went anyway. And she's under heavy-duty conviction. So she bought her snacks, and she went, she sat down next to her friends, and she's like, oh, I shouldn't be here. What if the rapture happens? I don't want to meet Jesus coming out of a Magic Mike movie. That would just be wrong, you know. There's something wrong with that. And then she started thinking, what if I die in here? I don't want to die in this theater. Where did she die? Watching Magic Mike. So she's nervous. She's drinking her Coke. She starts eating her M&Ms. True story. She starts to choke on an M&M. She's like, oh, great. I'm going to die in a mess. And her friend next to her, you know, stood up, did the Heimlich maneuver, and saved her life. She coughed up the M&M, and she learned a powerful lesson. Don't vacate consecrate. You and I have a responsibility to occupy our soul till he comes. We're to occupy our marriages. What does that mean? We're to pragma. I mean, the Bible's very practical. God's very practical. He wants you to occupy your marriage. He wants you to do the right type of kingdom business related to your marriage. He wants you to stay busy, carry on, set in motion, to accomplish, producing good results through great effort and energy in your marriage. God wants us to occupy our marriages. In our classic service, the 8.30 service on Sunday mornings, uh, one of our members, they're celebrating this weekend 65 years of marriage. And it went national, the McCoy family. It went national. She wore on her 65th anniversary the same wedding dress that she wore 65 years earlier. Wow, isn't that amazing? They occupied until Jesus comes for them or calls them home. We're to occupy. Don't vacate marriage. Consecrate your marriage. Occupy your family. Occupy your church. Occupy your school. Occupy your workplace. 
Occupy your community. Occupy the entertainment industry. Occupy the sports world. Occupy the political world. Occupy the financial world. Jesus said to his servants, I'm giving each of you a pound. And here's what's astounding. Of all the spiritual truths he could have conveyed to them in these end times parables, and we're just looking at one of them today, he gives them money and a mission. Nothing says more about your life and your faith than your money and what you do with your money. That's what all of these end time parables have in common. I mean, of all the stories he could have told, this is the story that he tells. So what are you doing with that which God has entrusted to you? He wants you to take it. He wants you to use it. He wants you to work it. He wants you to invest it. He wants you to grow it. Here's the amazing thing. Every Jewish person knows this. But our Gentile side of, our, of the thinking of our mind doesn't allow us to grasp this. Somehow we equate, we equate money with evil. People say, well, money's the root of all evil. The people that say that don't have it. And that's not even what the Bible says. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Anything that you love more than God can become a root of evil in our lives. But Jesus said to his servants, I'm giving you a pound each. I, want, I expect you to do If you read the rest of the parable, because we didn't have time to read the rest of the parable, when he returns, he held each of his servants accountable. And those that produced more, he verbally praised and rewarded. And the one that did nothing with that which was entrusted to him, he called him a wicked and lazy servant. That's not what we want to hear on that final day. Either when we go to be with Jesus or he comes to receive us into his eternal kingdom, we don't want to hear him say, you wicked and lazy servant. We want to hear him say, well done thou good and faithful servant. So I want to give you the Hebrew business model. The Hebrew, from the book of Proverbs, here's the spiritual lessons that God drilled, drilled, drilled into his people. And they grasped it and they understood it. As I give you these, the Hebrew business model, I want you to think in your mind of Nehemiah. He's a guy that occupied until he came. He had that occupier's mentality, okay? And what caused Nehemiah to be so successful? Here is the business, Hebrew business model that if you apply to your life, you will see God's blessing in your life. First of all, everything should begin with prayer. That's the foundation. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 16:3, share your plans with the Lord. That means talk to him. That, that's prayer. Share your plans with the Lord, and you will what? So everything begins with prayer. Nehemiah's incredible feat of rebuilding a wall in 52 days that had been torn down for 140 years, it began in the first two chapters with intense prayer, repentance, renewal, and commitment to the Lord. The second thing is it's going to take planning. If you want to occupy till Christ comes in your life, your soul, your marriage, your business, your calling, your future, it's going to take planning. Proverbs 21.5 says this, if you plan and work hard, let's say that together. If you plan and work hard, what will happen? You'll have plenty. Everybody say plenty. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants you to have plenty. Come on. But if you get in a hurry, you'll end up poor. God doesn't want you poor. God has a way to get you out of poverty. 
This is, I know, this isn't the Gentile thinking is poor is good and poor is a blessing and God loves the poor. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He loves everybody. But think like a Jew. Think like a Christian. Think like a Hebrew. This is what was drilled in them, constantly drilled in them. Prayer, planning, you know the six Ps, right? Prior proper planning prevents poor performance. God's not against planning. God's planned everything out. He just, does, he just doesn't want you and I to make plans without him. Plans without him don't have his blessing. Plans without him can rise to the level of sin and evil in the Bible. The third thing you need, you need people. You need people. Whether, whatever your product or service is, whatever your measure of success is, you don't get there without people. You need to be a people person. Any of you that have a measure of success right now, and those of you that are on your way to a, a experiencing great measures of success that God will entrust you with because you're faithful in that which is little, he'll reward you with much, you know you've learned important people skills. You've got to learn how to work with people, work around people, work through people, work for people, but it takes people. You're only going to have success to the degree that you're willing to work with other people and listen to other people. Proverbs 15:22 says this. Refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. I've seen more people fail in life. They had prayer, they had a good plan, but they didn't have good advice. They didn't ask the right people. And they failed. God wants to prevent you from failing. So take good counsel and watch. When you take good counsel, watch the people that take good counsel in life. They will succeed. They will succeed. And then product. You need to have a product. Uh, you have to have something that you're providing. Nehemiah's product was the building of the wall. Proverbs 31, 31 talks about this incredible woman, uh, the virtuous woman, and, and uh, God bless the product of her hands, of what she was producing. And God wants to bless the product of your hand. And finally, it takes persistence. In Proverbs 28, verse 20, it says, committed and persistent work. Say that with me. Committed and persistent work. Say it again. Committed and persistent work. It what? It pays off. It pays off. Uh, these principles work even for the non-believer. Without God's visible blessing, they'll work because these are, these are spiritual laws that will work. But be warned, get-rich-quick schemes are rip-offs. There is no shortcut. But if you do this, if you buy this, if you sign up for this seminar, in just three weeks, this will happen. Oh, no, 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 no. It takes, it takes commitment. It takes hard work. It takes persistency. God wants you to be persistent. You see, Jesus gave each of his disciples that day, he gave them what? A pound. Now indulge me for a moment. A play on words. Jesus has given you a pound, and every day of your life, you need to pound the pound. You need to pound the pound. You need, with commitment and persistency, you need to pound the pound. You know, we're all amazed when we look at that incredible sculpture, sculpture of Mount Rushmore there in the uh, South Dakota Black Hills. This project began in 1924. Uh, uh, Gutson Borlgum had this vision of sculpturing the face of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and Theodore Roosevelt. 
This was a 6,000-foot granite rock mountain, Mount Rushmore. Most of the sculpting was done by experienced miners with jackhammers and dynamite. They had to remove 400,000 tons of outer rock to accomplish this, cutting within just three inches of the final surface. When Borlgum died in March of 1941, his, his dream of the world's biggest sculpture was not yet completed. His son Lincoln actually completed it in October of that same year, some 14 years later after it had begun. And then the finished product, which is a, a feat un untold, absolutely amazing. They had to keep pounding, 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 jackhammers, dynamite, chisel, chisel, chisel. God wants us to occupy until he comes. We all have a Mount Rushmore that God's assigned us to. The Mount Rushmore of a godly whole marriage. The Mount Rushmore of raising godly kids. The Mount Rushmore of being a success in the kingdom of God and being good at what God's called you to be and prospering and, and taking the little and making much out of it to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth to, to, to fund the, the cause of Christ, to go in all the world and preach the gospel that whatever God has assigned you to, every day you pound away and pound away and pound away. Sometimes we come to the end of our life and there's much more pounding that needs to be done, but then our kids or our grandkids pick up where you left off because we all have a Mount Rushmore that God has assigned us to and we're to occupy that Mount Rushmore until he comes. But not only do we have a Mount Rushmore, but you and I are God's Mount Rushmore. And God takes the hammer of his word and he pounds away and he chisels away everything in me and everything in you that doesn't glorify him until that final day when you and I, Romans 8, 29, God's ultimate purpose for your life, that you and I would be conformed to the image of God's dear son. And so God is chiseling away chiseling away chiseling away my son's uh, my son introduced me to a song some time ago by dj official it's a rap song called chisel me god oh my goodness i listened to that thing like 20 times straight chisel me god chisel me it ain't gonna be easy but don't spare the rod chisel me god i'm like whoa man this thing rocks you got to look it up on, uh, on iTunes or Spotify. Chisel me. Ch I, that's your homework. Chisel me. We're all going to go home in our cars. Boom, 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 boom. Chisel me, God. Don't spare the rod. Man, they'll fire you up. And the words are absolutely incredible. But God's not finished with you yet. There's still more of Jesus that others need to see in you and me. So we can't vacate. We've got to consecrate. I want you to stand to your feet, church. I want, you to, I want to go into this worship song. And I just want us to, ha to have a moment of consecration. Maybe you've vacated. Maybe you've ran. Maybe you've given up some ground to the, to, the, to the enemy. But I know the Lord today is going to give it back to you. His word to you is going to be pursue, overtake, and recover all. So let's just take this moment, not be in a hurry. Say, Lord, have your way in us. Chisel me, God.
break away the things in my life that aren't pleasing to you. Maybe you need to make your way to the altar. Just you and God have a spiritual moment. The altar's open. Let's just let the Holy Spirit move for the next few minutes. Thank you, Lord. stolen shall be recovered seven times the Bible says thank you Lord thank you for your grace and your peace being multiplied in the hearts and lives of your people thank you for marriages that were on the brink God are gonna be restored they're gonna be repaired those father God that were feeling as though they were hanging by a thread Lord I thank you that Lord the, the strong arm of the Lord has got a hold of them Lord and they're gonna make it through the storm they're gonna come go over to the other side they're going to experience your grace and your blessing, Lord, because we want to be busy, Lord. We want to occupy till you come. Pray your grace now. I pray your power and your blessing, Lord, now in the hearts and lives of your people. Now just take a moment and under your own breath, from your own heart, say, Lord, what would you have me do with this message? What are you saying to me today? Where have I vacated where do I need to not vacate but consecrate? What ground have I given up to the enemy that I need to reclaim in Jesus' name? That I need to take back, Lord? To occupy until you come, Lord. To be faithful with that which you've entrusted to me through great effort and energy to accomplish and produce more results. Not in my own power, not in my own strength, but in that which you provide, Lord. Thank you. 
a turning point, a turning point, a breakthrough in my life right here, right now, today. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, now's the time, today's the day. Pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you, serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. By your grace and by your power, I shall occupy till you come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord together, church family. Can we do that?